With Medical Memory recording hundreds of thousands of patients with their HIPAA-compliant mobile app, we felt it was relevant to start discussing the best practices in patient communication, especially now that so many providers are recording these patient interactions with video. My name is Julie, and I've spent 15 years working with physicians to strengthen their communication skills. Listen in as we learn tips from the industry's best in patient experience. How can we strengthen these patient and family conversations and help our nurses and providers optimize their time, especially now that the camera is on? So quiet on the set, roll camera. This is scene one, take one, patient. Now, action. Hi, I'm Julie Sukup uh, with another episode of Take One Patient, um, where we talk about patient communication excellence and things that we can learn from industry experts um, about the way that we communicate with patients as we're starting to utilize more video, more telehealth. Uh, we wanted to always make sure we have provided a resource for, for our doctors and our nurses that are, are really doing this every single day. Um, I'm very excited to have a Dr. Kyle Hodebeck with me today. Um, he has a, a huge background in, in clinical, with insurance, um, biopharma, uh, military, um, and, and, and he brings a wealth of knowledge and perspectives uh, about patient communication um, and, and why it's important. Um, so I'm going to let you first introduce yourself and then we'll kind of dive a little bit more um, into our topic today. Awesome. Thanks, Julie, for the kind introduction having me on. Uh, again, my name is Dr. Kyle Hodebeck. I'm a board-certified family physician by training. I spent my first 10-plus years on the clinical side um, running outpatient clinics as well as is doing full-scope, delivering babies all the way to end-of-life care, inpatient, outpatient, the, ran the full gambit, uh, gambit there. Um, got out in 2019. Uh, from the military that is transitioned to a payer side of, of medicine. So I've been working at Oscar Health uh, for the last uh, uh, several years, since 2019, um, where I'm currently at today. On the side, I do a lot of work as a mentor and advisor for healthcare startups with a specialty in applying technologies and improved systems to healthcare so that we can improve our uh, outcomes and decrease our cost. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that brought me to where I caught you, where you caught my attention uh, was actually in a, a paper that you had written a little bit ago. Um, you know, Medical Memory, our, our app, uh, we utilize it a lot for video recording, informed consent. Um, some of our biggest neurosurgery clients um, use it to be able to do so. And one of, so we do a lot of research and digging about informed consent and what that means and why it's important and, and kind of giving more depth and breadth to that conversation, um, especially now that people are recording it and utilizing resources outside of, of just, you know, a, a paper. Um, and so one of the things is you have written um, an essay or, a, excuse me, done a, a IRB study um, on informed consent uh, where you talked about the, the reading level and the language of it. Um, so first, tell me a little bit kind of what drew you into looking into this, of, of doing a study about the reading level of, of informed consent um, first, and then we'll kind of dive into kind of more of what you, what you found from it. Yeah, for sure. Um, oof, I don't remember the year that was published, maybe five or six years ago, but... Um, 13, I looked it up. <laughs> 2013. Okay, <laughs> nine years ago, awesome. So it's... it's 
around that time, um, quality standards started to include um, the language that we use to to talk to our patients. Um, so, as you know, at, in medical school, for example, we learn over 200 to 300,000 new words. Most of those words are not very common. You know, pseudo pseudo hypoparathyroidism. What the heck does that mean? Um, it's difficult for a doctor to, to say it. Imagine just someone who doesn't even have a high school degree. So research shows that approx the approximate American reading level, um, this goes across the gambit. Again, everyone um, we see as patients is about the sixth to eighth grade level, which means that when we communicate with patients, uh, it should be at the level he or she can understand. So if I'm using physician level uh, verbiage for someone who hasn't completed, you know, college or high, I mean, high school or, or, or a pediatric patient, we wouldn't speak to them that way, right? So why, why are we doing this with adults who may not have that ability to comprehend that level of, of language? So it's really about speaking to the patient at his or her level, making sure that they're most comfortable to uh, understand what's about to go on treatment wise and to give them the appropriate options. So it's considered a quality metric now having that sixth to eighth grade uh, language, both on the clinical side, as well as on the insurance side. Get, getting into, I guess, the, um, the outcomes, at least at that time, um, a lot of our consent forms. So those, those forms you sign before you go in uh, to surgery or have any major, major intervention, just to say that, you're not doing this without the patient's understanding or knowledge. Most of those at our facility at that time when we researched it was about at least the 11th grade level with one of them even being over 12th grade levels of being in the college level. Um, so well above that sixth to eighth grade range. So that, that is what we found that maybe, you know, we're not communicating as well as we think we are. Right. Well, and that's one of the things is I, I can see, um, especially in an informed consent, when you're about to have a specific surgery, a lot of those verbiage and those words are necessary to be able to even just explain what you're doing. I mean, a lot of, of course, doctors, they just have a whole level of language that your average person, we don't even need to know what these words are. Okay. You know, like it, it doesn't fit unless we're in it and it's us or a family member and we're the ones having having those surgeries. So, so as far as when you were seeing that, okay, there is a huge discrepancy between like what they're saying is the language of level, like language level that is needed and what it is. What were some of the pieces that you kind of started putting into place to ensure um, it kind of still was covering the um, litigation piece of it, but mm -hmm. also making sure that you were speaking more to a, to a patient's or their family members level. Sure. Um, so a couple of things. So um, first we implemented a couple of, so for example, even just Microsoft Word um, as, as has its own ability to tell you what your reading level is at. You could also find other um, ways of measuring online. There's three common ones uh, beyond the purview of what we're talking about today, but just checking afterwards is, is what I'm trying to get to. You check and say, I think this is very clear. What grade level is it? Oh, shoot. I wrote at the 10th grade, 10th grade level. Okay. How can I maybe adjust it to get it down? as close as possible to that sixth to eighth grade. So that's one way. Another way is if you do, I mean, if you're having a cholecystectomy, i.e. having uh, your gallbladder removed, um, you can say cholecystectomy, that is what is, you're having, but at the same time, you should maybe have in parentheses, the remove, surgical removal of your gallbladder or surgery to remove your gallbladder. Um, I've gotten to the point, at least internally in my head, where if, if I'm writing a uh, something to a patient on the, on the insurance side, if, if we're not approving something, we have to 
explain why we're not approving a requested service. So if it, for example, is a cholecystectomy, uh, I can still say that, but at the same time, I'm going to say a removal of your gallbladder by surgery, something like that. Well, and that's interesting. So a lot of the words is you're like, okay, we're going to keep all that information still in there, but make sure that we're having it kind of more in layman's terms in that place. So you had mentioned that insurance is starting to really look at like the quality metrics that kind of come from that. If the, the languages like aren't um, out of place where a patient can understand, tell me, tell me just a little bit more about that. That's, that's kind of a new thing that even I'm learning. Yeah. Um, so there's an organization called NCQA and they, um, look at a lot of known, uh, quality metrics and that is both on the clinical side as well as, uh, on the insurance side as well. One of those just happens to be at what language you're communicating with your patients at. So, um, um, we found uh, when I first came on uh, 2019, 2020th, 2020-ish, excuse me, uh, at Oscar that we were uh, pretty pretty high in some areas. So we've tweaked it down. Um, we do use some templates as well um, uh, for verbal uh, communication. Those templates, we already know what the uh, grade average is. We have it listed after each template. And then there's an area where you you know, add specific information for each patient. Um, so just keeping that uh, in check. And then we also have a list of words. We have a list of doctor words and what is uh, approvable for NCQA purposes. So, sure. uh, col yeah, so you know, the removal of the gallbladder would be something we could say to a member instead of uh, cholecystectomy. Sure, sure. Well, it was interesting because one of the pieces that you had written about in your study was you know, as the threat of malpractice, as the threat of mitigation started to become a little bit more um, profound, especially in the past, you know, 20 years or so, mm -hmm. um, that that's where a lot of this more um, thorough language and even legal language as much as, you know, medical language started to really evolve um, in a lot of these consents, which is, of course, important for providers to also know their risks and be able to kind of make sure, hey, you know, am I covering myself um, to make sure that we're both on the same same page? And so it's interesting that it almost seemed to kind of rile, rile up. And now it's, it's started to say, okay, well, now how do we kind of clean that up and clarify that and make mm -hmm. it a little bit simpler, you know, too? Yes, it, it's... Um, it I, I, I chuck a little bit because um, when, when a physician, when a patient comes to see their doctor, they want their doctor to be, you know, perceived as really um, smart. The best they want, you know, to go to the best doctor, best this, and usually that's not using sixth to eighth grade language. Like yeah. I'm from Texas, so if I say, "Yeah, we're just gonna dig down in there, take out something, and we'll, you'll be all right," lickety split, they're they may not perceive yeah. that to be uh, uh, the, you know, the best service, even if I were the best doctor out there. Um, but at the same time, uh, um, um, getting that confidence across while, while getting the, the message across is, uh, is um, it's a double-edged sword in that we, we, you want to come off, you know, with confidence, with that rapport, but at the same time, understanding for the patient. Yeah. Which is a very like hard, like a very blind balance. Cause even as you're mm -hmm. mentioning that and, 
fortunately I haven't really had any, you know, surgeries, but like my, my dad had spine surgery mm-hmm. where we got a video of the risks, benefits, alternatives that kind of explained it more, but definitely in conversations with his provider, we were like, no, I kind of wanted him to be a little, you know, about that. It did make me feel more confident. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was talking about, even if I wasn't kind of understanding all of the pieces, you know, at the time. Um, so it's interesting how you say that is, is, is it does build confidence, but then, you know, is someone even understanding what's, what's going on yeah. there? Like, um, I don't know what he just said or she said, but yeah. um, sounds. I like how he's saying it. <laughs> well, and that's I think goes to to what you also said in that study about um, you know using other resources, using other materials. That it's not always just a conversation and a signed sheet of paper. Um, that if you are having some of these other pieces, that that informed consent is a conversation. It's not mm-hmm. a signature. And we had a podcast a little bit ago with um, a, a, a doctor and a lawyer um, who had who had both um, doctorates and, and he was kind of saying, you know, the more the more you think of it as a conversation that we're doing together and the more resources you can provide around it, it actually shows better in a malpractice situations or a mitigation um, place that, that you're doing everything you can best educate your patient. Um, and, and so that's where it's kind of gotten interesting, especially with, you know, even some of our clients that have recorded you know, here's the risks, the benefits, the alternatives, like everything that's kind of a more broad statement patient. Here's access to the video. Here's access that your family can watch this video. Um, we're going to timestamp that we can see that you watch the video and even have a question of like, do you have any questions? What other information do you need? Is there anything you're not understanding here to ensure that that's, that's a dialogue and providing that dialogue? And so even for a lot of these providers who are like, I don't, I just can't, with my level of schooling and my level of education and practice, I'm not good at speaking at a six to eight level. As you said, you're like, that's just not how I speak normally because of because of the words I know and what I do. But they're having then these resources that, well, even if you're having that conversation, there's there's these supporting documents, either paper wise, education wise, or like a video like medical memory that you can use. Um, yeah. So and is that kind of what you're seeing happening more often or what other things are you seeing providers doing to kind of offset that? Sure. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of um, uh, resources being sent. So not just, you know, a standard sign this consent form, um, either paper or, you know, electronic signature now, but also here are additional resources. Um, you mentioned the um, for the protection purposes as well, that um, ensuring that a member or member on the, is what we say on the pair side, patient on the clinical side, uh, actually opens up each of those, um, uh, links in order to ensure that they, they did at least get that information visualized. Hopefully some, you know, some or all of it, um, went in. Um, so I, I know, I mean, I say that because I know on my end, I'm just like, okay, I just want to click this and get through it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is important for, for a member, uh, slash patient to know what he or she's getting into. Other things I see a lot of are um, both researchers and clinicians um, getting on social media a lot. Um, I think I think that's a great thing, actually. Um, um, I've, I've literally had people in my family get medical advice from memes. So um, anything that we can do to, you know, provide a positive influence on social media, I think, you know, including a podcast just like this is, is a great resource for patients. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of trends that way to make sure that we are uh, located not just physically but digitally wherever our patients are. Yeah. 
Well, and it's interesting you even mentioned that because you guys also did an IRB study about social media um, that I thought was incredibly interesting. And, and that one of the outcomes of even just, I think it was like Twitter, where you can only have so many characters that it kind of forces you um, to kind of uh, um, speak at a more basic level or, or type in more basic level. And that when you were starting to compare some, I'll let you kind of speak to it, but when you're comparing, you know, social media posts versus like educational documents in the office, already you were, you were leaning more towards a younger reading level that's more appropriate for the public. Right. Um, so this was, this all came about, so we had our initial study that we just mentioned with the written uh, paper consents. And then um, I was thinking, well, I wonder what social media is written at. And it just so happened there was a uh, Stanford University in conjunction with a company called, um, uh, I think they're called Medex. Um, they had this challenge and it was uh, through Twitter. Um, so I, I, my thought process was Twitter, uh, uh, at least at that time had a, I think it was 140 character limit. Um, I wonder what the grade level is for those 140 characters. Right. We were able to, um, through um, uh, the resources provided by this competition, able to look at a lot of different metrics. It was, it was actually pretty cool. Uh, so we looked at different hashtags, different handles. We could see who were more influential. We could see um, the grade levels. And then it came out, uh, if you recall, the first study with the written consents was just over 11th grade. And this was around the ninth grade level. So a couple grade level improvement, um, which means that hypothetically, it'd be a lot easier to understand for the general public. The other thought process is these are... Uh, going out internationally. So there's a lot of English as second language or even third or fourth language yeah. readers. So you also want it to be at a lower grade level so that international folks can enjoy, appreciate and soak in that knowledge that we put out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially when you're going to your specialty and the things you do most often, um, you know, even some of our, like, I always speak to neurosurgery because that's what I know the best, but we have orthopedic, pediatric, oncology, all of it. But, um, is they, they started to kind of even um, cartoonize or animate or like cut down even little pieces that are more digestible too. So that there are like shorter clips or shorter words or, or shorter things um, to continue to educate um, their, their patients, but especially even in more of a general situation like you were where it's, you know, diabetes, the risks or, you know, um, cholesterol or, or those type of things where people are starting to consume that easier um, that we're kind of just already leaning into that education level it's a good point with the um animation also the gamification of um of knowledge and, and increased inter interactions uh with patients uh on the on the clinical side um one company i work with out of florida called high neo they um they are working with clinicians as well as insurers focusing on uh patient clinical understanding and augmenting um medical knowledge of the general public. So that, I think that's a pretty cool idea and trend um, I've seen uh, as well. Yeah. And start to tweak as we're learning and technology is becoming more advanced. I mean, I think one thing as, as we, you know, we're all taken over with COVID is that we learned, Hey, we got to lean more in, more into telehealth and we have to lean more into video and lean more into recording and and lean into some of these resources that are available to you and a lot of that is things like you said is like technology that might be able to kind of take some of these pieces away or or do things in that 
capacity to make it simpler. So you're not always like, oh, am I doing what I'm supposed to? But well, maybe I'm relying on my resources, like that program that you just had mentioned or, you know, medical memory and, and their video tool, like just seeing kind of the pieces that you can add into what you're already doing too, to, to make sure that you're covering all bases. Exactly. Exactly. So pulling different resources, um, again, it's really, as we, society moves on to uh, the internet, um, not replacing in-person contacts, but augmenting it through, yeah. through technology. Yeah. Bringing more things around. So that being said, I mean, if, if is, is if you are going to kind of say, okay, someone's listening right now and they're like, okay, my, my communication style is too, like too high, too aggressive. I know it is. Um, I've been told I need to, you know, make it more basic. I still can't. <laughs> what you, you, what are kind of some three tips that you would say um, for providers that are wanting to um, improve, improve this piece of, of communication um, in their practice? Three pieces. Hmm. Okay. Um, one piece. So for writ, for written, especially written um, communications, after completing it, um, just especially if you do it in Word, uh, just look up the grade points average uh, or the, you know, the grade reading uh, level that you used. The Word will spit it out for you. Um, if you don't, have, you can you can search it up online. Reading reading level uh, for for writing, you can just whatever the search is, and then throw it in, and then it'll come out with a number for you. Um, so that would be one thing. Another thing would be um, so taking that you could have templates both written as well as um, video recorded templates. Um, so that would, that would one reduce the amount of work each time you're uh, either doing consents or written uh, information that you do often sure. um, and uh, reduce the work down while ensuring you meet that sixth to eighth grade. Um, level. Yeah. And then um, I would well, say, I thought that was interesting that you, I didn't even know that you could just Google it and be able to figure that out right away. You know, I started like, where am I at? Which is a good, just check. Yeah, like being aware of what what your stuff is mm -hmm. and then start looking at the resources around you like medical memory or other things that are that are available to, to help just a little bit you know exactly and, exactly. and then I've, I've gotten to the point um so if i'm uh, in general if i'm speaking to a patient or, or anyone i uh, just to be respectful of um in our communications like I, it's good to know what level of education that person has just as it's good to know what their primary language is right if someone yeah. a primary english speaker and you have the ability to speak that language or you have a interpreter or whatever that may be you would right. want to bring that person involved same thing for for uh, language so if there's something that i think um the average so again uh, i've been studying this a little bit so i, I have a pretty good gauge uh, uh, that the average person probably doesn't pick up um then I would, so cholecystectomy, you know, big word, uh, gallbladder surgery. Oh, okay, great. Now that I understand. Um, the other thing is, is closed loop communication. So um, after you tell the person, can you, can you, can you tell me what you heard? Yeah. And then uh, that person can tell you, and hopefully it's, it's exactly what you told them. If not, then you need to um, find another way to better communicate that information to the individual. Right. And it's interesting that you're saying that because even to that is exactly what Dr. Warholmi said in the, I think, episode four, where he was talking about that, how making sure it's a dialogue, making sure it's a conversation is, are you understanding everything? What did I tell you? What are we doing? What are we having? And making sure that if, if they're not able to kind of repeat it back, that's take a few steps back, 
use other resources or do anything along those lines. And so for even providers that may not always have the time even to do it at that minute is what kind of systems you have for a feedback via, you know, like, like medical memory has like a survey question that, that when a patient's watching maybe informed consent video with risk benefits and alternatives all listed that, that says like, I am, you know, do you understand all the pieces of this information? Like, what are, like, what is the, you know, questions that you may have and making sure that that just simply saying, are we good? Like, you got anything? Like, are we on the same page? That extra couple seconds at the end of that conversation, just to ensure that um, can be huge um, in, in, in that discussion. Exactly. And then some of it is even um, beyond just, did you understand yes or no? There, uh, for like some surgeries, you, you can't take blood thinners yeah. and uh, yeah, well, should, probably for most surgeries. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's really important to ensure that those things are communicated and understood for the best outcomes. All yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and cause some people maybe don't really think about, oh, I just take, I just take it every day. I've done it for 10 years. And then like, Oh wait, like all of a sudden I'm having to shift it, even a simple behavior, but um, at least understanding the why and okay, I'm totally on board, on board with what you're, with what you're talking about. So, well, and that's great. I mean, I, um, again, I, I, I appreciate, you know, your, your intellect and your thought and, and the perspective that you're providing, especially with these studies of, of just being more aware of where our languages fall, some resources that providers can utilize. Um, and, and even just kind of going back into more like social media, as you said, is, you know, leveraging that platform, which in and of itself helps simplify things. Um, I think a lot of the you know studies that you're doing and the work that you're doing is really saying, hey, I'm an advocate for patients. I'm wanting to make sure that the, that we're providing the best resources and care to ensure they understand the information that's being presented to make you know better decisions or have better health outcomes. Um, you know, that's our our company, Medical Memory, very much aligns with that value. That's why we were even built. So I really appreciate you know, your like mind and, and uh, your intellect and, and taking the time to really talk about some of these things that, you know, you're an expert in and, and have done research in. So, of yeah. course, thanks for yeah, allowing me to discuss and something I'm very passionate about and glad to see other people are passionate about it as well. Awesome. Well, thanks again for, for joining us. Um, and we'll talk, talk to you more soon. Awesome, Julie. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thanks. And cut. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Take One Patient. We hope you have a nugget or two you can implement into your practice with your patients today. For more information about recording your visits with a HIPAA compliant app, go to www.themedicalmemory.com or you can follow me on Instagram at Julie Recording Doctors. Thanks again.